0: Welcome to Diamonds in the Rough Draft, a heartfelt dig through the discarded drafts from our past. I'm your co-host, Emily Anderson. And I'm Eric Anderson. On draft this week is Mountain Jam Southern Lager from Southbound Brewing Company. And I have to say, this is one of the most beautiful and intricate cans I have ever seen.
1: Yeah, that's why I chose it, because I don't really... Well, he'll tell you more about yeah. the beer, but it's it's hoppy, and it, I don't really like hoppy beers.
0: Generally speaking, she's not a hopper. Yeah. But, so this, uh, it's a pun, and we like puns, because the Mountain Jam is a combination of, like, sweetness, and there's a picture of a banjo on the can. Yeah. And, uh, again, this can is incredibly intricate, so it has not only the description, you know, where it talks about, heady, citrus aromas, etc. but it also has the three hops that they used, which were Citra, Amarillo, and Cascade.
1: Yeah, I don't know anything about hops.
0: Now, apparently there's more than one kind of hops, guys. That's what I've (laughs) learned from this, and now I I need a list of all available hops, and they're different. We're uh... not
1: home brewers.
0: We're just (laughs) home
1: drinkers. (laughs)
0: Indeed. I just do this recreationally, guys. I'm not getting paid for this yet sponsors but if you
1: are a brewery and you would like to sponsor us, please contact us. <laughs>
0: we are very, very um, easy to bribe and buy and we will be We're very, very willing. happy
1: to discuss
0: wrapping your beer. Yeah, that's classic. Unless it's an, an IPA which
1: is trash. <laughs> hey
0: Hey, all right. I mean, I mean... On IPA nights, I'm going to give her something else. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to drink wine those nights, and it's going to get hilarious.
1: If you are a brewery interested in contacting us, and your main beer is IPA, please have something else that's really good for me to drink. <laughs> we <laughs> we'll need another option.
0: We need a second place, all right? I love IPAs. <laughs> I will drink them, although I really kind of believe, like, I like the flavor of IPA. But I also kind of think most of them taste the exact same. Yeah,
1: that's my so... problem with them. And they all don't... Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> She's
0: like, they all taste the same, and I don't like that taste. So, there you go. Um, what else? This, this can, it has a best served at temperature between 42 and forty degree, 48 degrees. I strongly assume Fahrenheit, even though it doesn't say.
1: Well, at Celsius, I think that would be... Well, no, boiling's a hundred at Celsius, but it would be really hot. Yeah, it would
0: be, it really would be not optimum temperature. In <laughs> I just Celsius. remembered,
1: uh, we have some friends uh, from Belgium, and they were visiting. This must have been five years ago because it was around our wedding, and uh, Matthew was telling a story about like a really hot day, and he goes, "Yeah, it was like thirty five degrees." <laughs> And Eric, Eric, and I are American. We're
0: both looking. We just paused. Like, like, uh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. Is <laughs> That's that really cold? Are you some kind of beast? <laughs> Why? <laughs>
1: But yeah, so this wants there. to be at 42 to 48 degrees Fahrenheit. Yes. And
0: apparently in the World Beer Cup Championship in 2018 it won the gold award in the other international style lager category. That's so, cool. Um, so this
1: is an award-winning beer. It sure. Should is. we take it? Should we
0: take a sip? Oh, it's out of Savannah, too. Did I yeah. say that Savannah, Georgia? Cheers. Cheers. There you go again.
1: It's the ASMR. Okay, well Otherwise, it's just silence while
0: we're drinking. They can hear our joy.
1: Okay, so I'm pleasantly surprised by this, um, you know, with all the talk of, like, hops. And it's got a very strong hoppy, like, scent. But you don't taste it like it's not overwhelming it's very smooth it
0: doesn't have that kind of aftertaste that clings for a long time with its hoppiness it's it is a very mild so i it's not a pale ale it's It's not an ipa it is still a lager it's a good summer
1: beer yeah yeah i agree all right
0: well while we drink our way through this we will be working through emily's rough draft of her poem little one so very excited about that um but first emily what are you thinking about right now
1: I have been thinking a lot about mythology and like trope ever since the episode, our previous episode, like the one we just did, yeah. you know, the
0: most recent one. Our most recent episode, where... if you're listening in order.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, there are some stories, whether they're based in like, book or whether they're based in mythology that just, like, those same plot points get told over and over and over again. And, like, we don't really think about who the author is. We don't, like, worry about whether we're copying an author's work, you know? So,
0: are you talking about, like, characters that exist past the author's time?
1: Kind of. Kind of characters, but also, like, story beats. Mm-hmm. You know, um, well, I, I don't know. The first thing that popped into mind was Beauty and the Beast because I've been reading a lot of romance novels. it's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a
0: common trope. <laughs>
1: well, it it um, is
0: the, the kind of, uh, what is it, the bluebeard trope of somebody. No, wait, that's not bluebeard. No, it's yeah, not. it's
1: Beauty and the Beast, yeah, yeah. like I just beast. said. no, no there's, but the, there's you a could... name
0: for it. Yeah, it's just the general The beastly conceit. lover, yeah. the <laughs> I general conceit is of, what like, the fairy tale a, a, classification A young is. woman gets married to a man who is usually older than her and is kind of beastly, and then through the power of her love, he turns more human until he's actually like a great guy, and then they fall in love.
1: Yeah, well, and I think... The end. I think it has been argued, and I tend to agree that that's kind of based in the Cupid and psyche myth or Eros and Psyche whether you are a Roman buff
0: or a Greek buff (laughs) Um, well it just I mean there's so many societies around earth for all of recorded time that have had younger women married off to older men usually because women died in childbirth so often and men remarried you're
1: like really harping on this older man thing and in the trope that I'm talking about or the the mythological story that I'm talking about, the age is not the problem. The problem is that the lover is like a beast or the lover is some inhuman thing that can't be seen or can't be completely understood and you're kind of having to just trust that they're going to get better, trust yeah. that they're going to okay. be good to okay. you.
0: Well, I, I can agree with that. It's I, I think I you're really more... wanting to
1: veer towards the bluebeard, but I don't find no. that one to be based in mythology. <laughs> well, no, 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 no,
0: no. <laughs> I, I, I agree. I shouldn't have said so much about older. I guess the more important is it has to be an arranged marriage. It doesn't work if it's not an arranged marriage. Otherwise, it's her choice to marry him, right?
1: Yeah... Well, I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to remember what happens in the, in the Cupid and Psyche, like, how they end up together. I think she's, like, offered up as tribute. I think her little city-state pisses off Venus, Aphrodite, mm-hmm. who's Eros's mom, and so, like, he comes to collect their, like, sacrifice of... I think they said that Psyche was, like, more beautiful than her. And so she's like, well, you better offer her up to me as a sacrifice.
0: Just, guys, just don't compare yourself to a goddess or a yeah, god. Yeah, it doesn't or, go or well. your children. Never say somebody's yeah. more beautiful than anyone else. It's just not going to go yeah, well.
1: Yeah, Athena.
0: I immediately think of the story of Arachne. Who well, she yeah, can that's weave ratnina, so? Yeah, 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 you yeah, can yeah, weave yeah. so well. Just let it be, all right. Let the woman weave. <laughs> don't don't compare her to a god. That's not necessary. Okay, but
1: I think we're getting we're getting kind of off topic because you were also wanting to talk a little bit about how this idea of trope also then plays into stories that like. They don't belong to the author anymore. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, okay. Nobody cares who originally came up with the idea of Beauty and the Beast. It's kind of mythological. It's it is ingrained in a lot of cultures. But aside from that, like moving moving forward, there are some stories that it doesn't. We also don't care who wrote them. We might know, but we we really don't care. I look at comic books. Uh, they have moved so far past the original writer or the even the original title that they came up with. Yeah, there's
1: so many people playing in that sandbox, yeah, yeah and it's that, fine. And, and yeah. we're
0: fine with that. Like Everybody, as a readership, is okay with Spider-Man being rebooted 10,000 times by a different author. We don't need it to be the same people over and over again. We don't need him to do the same things over and over again. But we would be very, very angry if somebody tried to do that in a different character, like in a different way. So...
1: Well, the one we were talking about that we hope people don't get angry about because we want this to happen. We want Star Wars to get rebooted. <laughs> 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 but but there's there's this huge precedent um I mean there're like hundreds probably of novels written in the Star Wars universe that like you know they were licensed from Lucasfilms, like, so these, these authors, like, you could go into a Barnes and Noble and buy this Star Wars book that in no way was written by George Lucas. In no way was he consulted. It was just the author playing in his sandbox with his characters, with his world, and, you know, getting creative permission from George Lucas to do that and make money off of it. But, and you don't have that happening, say, with, J.K. Rowling and the Harry Potter universe where she
0: still has very very clear control. Yeah. Uh, I think of to the, the detriment.
1: Characters. I think to the detriment now of that of that
0: series. Yeah. So so we run into an interesting thing right now. So there's the there's the idea of fan fiction. And then there's the idea of just writing in that universe.
1: Yeah. If
0: somebody decides to go out and like publish a a Spider-Man book, it's okay. You know, they they get the license for it, they get permission to use it and then they go out and publish it and it's fine. Um but if anybody wants to write in the Harry Potter universe right now, it is fan fiction and is you not have to official. Be like it, yeah. it, it is it is not official. Everybody knows yeah. that. Like it might be fun, but this is not true. It is not true fiction. And I wonder at what point does it no longer become fan fiction? For instance, Sherlock Holmes Of course, there's no copyright on him. It's been around for a really long time. Um, Well, if there was copyright, it's run out. Yeah, it's in the common domain. Anybody Mm -hmm. can go out right now and publish anything they want about Sherlock Holmes, and everybody will read it. We think.
1: I'm (laughs) going to claim this
0: boldly, all right? (laughs) That's just fine. So, at what point does that happen? Does the author have to die? Is it literally just a matter of the copyright running out? And the there's... estate of the author no longer trying to keep it up. I mean you have the same thing with Tolkien, right? Whereas his estate still has very clear control of all of the properties that go yeah. through it. And like, Although Amazon... they have
1: they have authorized people, I think. Well, beyond authorizing the movies, yeah. I think they uh I think towards the end Christopher Tolkien was no longer the one publishing Tolkien's notes yeah. cleaned up. I think they had started farming that out to other people too when he so got too I, old to keep up
0: with that. I kind of see Lord of the Rings now Now that it's turning into alright we did these Peter Jackson movies now Amazon is picking up a series I'm wondering whether or not we're on the cusp of seeing Lord of the Rings expand away from the closely controlled family where it, it has been since it, it was originally published
1: and it, it, if it does it will be interesting to see what that does to the public's perception of that world and the story, you know, the current stories. Because um, in
0: one way, like, it is very mythological, but everything with such detail was written by Tolkien in the first place. So he wrote it as a history and everybody saw it as a history with this knowledge that, oh, if you a just... A fictional
1: history. Yeah. A but fantasized If, if you just
0: delve deep enough into Tolkien's notes, you can find out, oh, how this is really how this happened. But after a certain point, if we just let new authors pick it up and tell new stories in this universe, people who have grown up with these stories, then what other potential for great stories in Middle Earth do we have? Yeah. I, I kind of see that true for a lot of different things. I mean, definitely true I for think, Star Wars. I
1: think it is... I think it's a... It's a sticky wicket. I don't know where that phrase a just sticky came wicket. From. I think
0: it's... Hashtag sticky wicket.
1: It's a hard thing because... Um, I'm sure it's very flattering to most authors to have people who are so invested in your world that they want to keep creating within it. They yeah. want to know more story from it. But it, but it is also, it must also be weird, this world that you created out of thin air, that you did all this detailed work to create, that you had under your complete and utter control for whatever length of time you were working on your written work to then have people playing around in that sandbox you know
0: um, i can totally i i can relate well i can't relate yeah. i can imagine and i guess It's very intriguing to me because it's somebody giving up their God complex. It's somebody saying, I know I created this. I know I'm the all-powerful, all-knowing creator. And I'm going to let another person step in and just uh, tell me what happens in book two.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I I think it takes a certain kind of author to allow that to happen while they're alive. Um, Maybe it's easier if you're like George Lucas where you were writing a movie. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So... uh, But I I'm thinking about Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. Like that has almost become a it has become like a trope. You know, people retell it in all kinds of ways. (laughs) Like the specific story itself is is, you know, done over and over again on film. But then you also have, you know, writers of novels who lift the, you know, enemies to lovers plot point who also just Refresh it for a modern audience. I have a romance novel sitting on my on my shelf for me to read that's, like, a modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice, but, like, set in India.
0: Or you have the Pride yeah. and Prejudice and Zombies. Where yeah. Where somebody just m- mashed up two different genres, and they're still reusing classic literature, and nobody has a yeah. problem with it.
1: Well, but I think the big difference there is Jane Austen's been dead for, like, 150 years. Yeah. You know, she didn't have any descendants, you know, so, like, she didn't have any direct descendants. She doesn't have an
0: an estate that's trying to keep up the copyright.
1: Yeah, if she did have an estate, I think it's petered out. I don't think the copyright is still there on that, because there's, like, a million different print Yeah, there's no way they
0: still have a copyright on that.
1: Yeah, Yeah. so I, I do think that... The ability to play in someone else's sandbox and to especially make money off of that. Mm-hmm. I think it really depends on this, uh, this enmeshment of several uh, different uh, factors. You know, I think there's the factor of, you know, what is the state of the copyright? What is the, what is the, um, what's the deal with the author or their estate being alive in And active in continuing to control this world.
0: Yeah. Well, I... I keep coming back to to TV shows and, and, and movies to a certain point. Because as far as continuation under different writers, they're, I think, some of the easiest examples I can come up with. I can't come up with a book series that has really been around for a very, very long time as one continual series under different authors.
1: I... Don't think that's a good claim to make because in, Well, I said I can't think of any. Well, well in genre fiction, so like Mercedes Lackey is coming to mind. You see this in like the thriller writers too, like after they get to a certain point, they'll agree to let like a younger up and coming author continue writing stories in that world and they they both their names will appear yeah, that's on the true. book. You know, so I know there's, I know there's several by Mercedes Lackey that I haven't read, (laughs) where that's the case. I've seen some Stephen Um, King's. I've
0: seen some Dean Koontz. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, uh, so the point that I was trying to make earlier is, all right. So I look at James Bond movies. Okay. Yeah, Ian Fleming wrote all of the books. Okay, we're fine with that, but now it's gotten to the point that he's pretty much a mythological figure. We don't need there to be a be- a beginning and an end to James Bond. We just want to see his adventure of the day.
1: And it's fascinating to see the evolution of that. Like, he is on par with, like, Hercules or Superman. Yeah, there's
0: a, what is his or... struggle this time? Is he going to fall in love again? What is yeah. he going to overcome? We know he's going to make it through. We know he's not going to die. It
1: reminds me of, like, the conceit of those comedia Del Arte, yeah. um, you know, with Harlequin and I can't remember the names of any of the other ones. No, he's no he's <laughs> no baby. No. <laughs> no, I don't think he's in that. But you just had these characters and you you'd kind of just throw them into a situation and like the actors would play out how they thought that the characters would react to that. And that's how story would happen. So you'd get something different every time from, from different performances, even of the same actors, you know, and that is what these, what sometimes these immortalized characters become. And it is interesting to think, how do they get there? Yeah.
0: It is. And and just talk about. All right. So if I just stick with my my James Bond example, talk about different audiences. Well, you know, originally we have Sean Connery slapping women around. We don't really have that anymore. There is a different there's a different dynamic now yeah. in, in the movies. Thank God. You know, there there just is. And you know, it it's more than just cinematography and it's more than just the the times a change in. You know, audiences are going to want different things and I think it's a well, great Well the culture little, moves on. The yeah, culture
1: it, evolves and the the heroes have to to I mean that's we've talked about this with Beowulf before, like for whatever reason, that character doesn't reform with culture very well in a way that Hercules does.
0: He's more you of know? a blank slate. Like, Hercules, <laughs> thankfully, I, I say thankfully because it is very easy to apply him to different place. Hercules is pants. He's very strong pants, but yeah. anybody can put on the pants and wear them and understand where Hercules is coming from. He is somebody that... Eric yeah.
1: is referencing the onion... Uh, article about Twilight. For anybody yes. who didn't get the pants <laughs> reference. All right. 15 years ago <laughs> The
0: Onion wrote an article about Twilight calling Bella pants. Yeah. Because she was supposed <clears throat> to be the every woman that anybody could uh, relate to at any time. And there was kind of just milk toast.
1: Yeah, she's a like not so this article was saying that she's a non-entity character. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not saying that that is Beowulf. Wait what am I saying? What you we were
1: comparing down? Hercules. Oh, Hercules, to that. there yeah. we go. I got
0: confused. But
1: Beowulf yeah. isn't. He no, seems Beowulf to be isn't. really no, stuck in yeah. his in his place. Well he is.
0: He's very much a product of his culture in the time that he was. And writing. for
1: that and so for some reason, even though he is a character that we keep he's a hero that we keep studying, that we keep we all listening to this probably know who Beowulf is, whether or not you've actually read you know, you have some idea of who he is, but you probably haven't consumed very much media about him. Whereas we have all probably consumed multiple media forms of Hercules. Yeah. It's you know? just
0: he has a much more inspirational story. He's a much more adaptable story. To the everyman. Yeah. yeah. He has parents that he doesn't get to spend time with. He's stronger than everybody else and he's kind of awkward. And now he has to go fight a monster. Here we go. Let's have an adventure. It's yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. So, I can so keep talking so about Beowulf much longer than you want me to on this yeah, episode. We'll put a
1: pin in Beowulf and come back to that because Eric has feelings thoughts. and <laughs> feelings.
0: emotions and opinions. Oh, dear. Oh, my.
1: Maybe we should do a I'm thinking about the Beowulf manuscript.
0: Yeah, now I'm thinking about Beowulf, so we're going to have to save this for another episode. We'll talk about that next time. Everybody
1: prepare. (laughs) If you have questions, send them in.
0: (laughs) It is my turn next time, all right? It's going to be my piece. It's going to be my Beowulf story. Emily's not going to talk at all.
1: No, I'm not going to promise that. No, Emily talks all the time.
0: It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. That was wonderful. Now, before you give us the dramatic reading, Emily, tell us what you remember about this poem and why it was written.
1: Okay, so an important thing to know about this is this poem, Little One, is that it's accompanied by this picture from the AP and like a little blurb of this, this tiny little baby wearing a surgical mask at the airport in Tijuana in 2009 during the swine flu epidemic. And so that's what inspired this poem. I, I think I saw this in an NPR article. It may have been CNN. I'm not sure, but, um, I was just reading the news, um, and saw this picture and was just kind of horrified. (laughs) And, I was struck as I was going through my records to choose pieces for this show. I was struck by by this in comparison to now. Um, I was telling Eric that actually a few days before the lockdowns really got serious and just things got really serious with COVID-19, I was speaking to a friend on the phone who was kind of just, you know, asking, what do you think about this pandemic that everybody's talking about? Like, are you worried? Do you think it's going to be really bad? And I honestly was thinking back to this swine flu pandemic, which didn't affect me. I mean, my sister got it and was fine. She was uncomfortable, but, like, we weren't in any way afraid she was going to die, you know. And it just, like, it didn't affect my life. There was no lockdowns. You know, I was maybe a lot more cautious about washing my hands. I'd, I assume I got the vaccine because I get every vaccine that is available to me. Um, but I, but I don't remember for sure. Like that's how not big of a deal yeah, it was. I
0: remember, I remember the news. I remember <clears throat> it happening. I remember a few people on campus getting it. And I remember finding this website called do I have the Swine and it was just a website with the word no on it. That was, that was it. That was the entire thing. And I loved it and I sent it to everyone.
1: Yeah. Well, and so, so I think what really struck me and inspired me to write this poem was realizing my privilege, that I wasn't worried, that I didn't have to worry, and realizing that in another part of the world... This seven-month-old baby was having to wear a mask in an airport because it was genuinely that much of a concern for her. And I'm just, I'm really struck now by just how ubiquitous now Children in masks are like yeah. I had never seen a child in a surgical mask before. You know, I'd seen like doctors or nurses occasionally for like, especially the dentists. Yeah, and the dental hygienist will wear them sometimes. Somebody who's all
0: up on your face.
1: Yeah, yeah. So like I'd seen them, but it was always in like that kind of setting. It wasn't out and about on the street or in an airport. Or and every I, now and
0: then we would see somebody. Who was extra careful, or usually somebody from no, East Asia even... who would have a mask on? But yeah, was but always... I
1: hadn't experienced that in my yeah. real life. So I was just really struck at the time by a child being in in a mask like that, and now it's so ubiquitous. I mean, we we have a our youngest son was born two months into the pandemic, and he's never seen anybody outside of our family without a mask on like he's he's never been to a grocery store where people aren't all wearing masks for like the first nine months of his life he hadn't even been to a grocery store like it's so different um and so that's that's where this poem came from that's the story of this, and that is why I chose this All right. for tonight. All right. Well, thank
0: you for sharing that with us. And now.
1: A dramatic reading! A dramatic reading! A dramatic <laughs> reading! <laughs>
0: Please note that
1: this is accompanied by a picture under which is written, 7-month-old Alexa Zuniga wears a surgical mask at the airport in Tijuana, Mexico, April 28, 2009. In Mexico, more than 150 deaths were believed to have been caused by swine flu. Guillermo Arias, AP. Little one. She looks out with eyes so wide, frank, unafraid, curious, Hand raised, fingers curled, an uncertain greeting. Innocence, the last of it to be found. Her face is swallowed by a mask, sterile, standard. What could she possibly have to hide? What have we come to when mere babes must worry that the very air they
0: breathe will turn against them? Thank you very much for sharing that and for your dramatic reading. So what I was really struck by is kind of... I, I like the cadence that you have. You know, it, it's short. It is not a very long poem, but you definitely have a cadence that you that you stick to um, with kind of longer lines going down to, to smaller lines. Yeah. Um, for the most part, most of your... Lines until you get to the last four, most of your lines end at the end of the line. If that makes sense, like they don't wrap around. Yeah. Um, I don't. Eyes so wide, (laughs) Frank, unafraid, curious. It and in that way, it's not until you get to the end. It's not until you get to the very last sentence when you actually have one sentence that wraps around the next four lines. What have we come to when mere babes must worry that the very air they breathe will turn against them? And I like that. Okay. I like the flow of okay. That entire sentence is now going across four lines. In in my opinion, the kind of choppiness that you have in the first three quarters of the poem is because you don't allow one line to flow longer. Okay. Past a break. So if you I don't know extend it a little bit, um, you you also play a little game that I'm trying to figure out if I like or I'm trying to figure out if it has meaning that we can apply to it. So you have these words that are set off by themselves. And in the second line, you have three words, frank, unafraid, curious. And then down a little while, you have two words, sterile, standard. So I was wondering if maybe it would be effective if you were to keep that up, and then a little ways further, if you extend the poem, you have one word by itself.
1: Well, I do have one word by itself. Yeah,
0: but it's in the middle, so it doesn't work. You have three, one, two, which doesn't doesn't show us anything.
1: Well, so... As I was reading this in preparation for tonight, I was actually kind of pre-thinking that I'd cut those random words out. I At the time, I was thinking I liked the flow better if I cut those words out. I, I think I was trying to just be really dramatic. I, I think I was, as I was writing this, I was really thinking about what it would sound like read out loud, because I, I think I did use this in a poetry writing class that I was in. Um, so I, I, in that class, the format was, we'd all bring our poems. We all sat in a circle. We'd all read and edited each other's poems before coming to class. And then we'd go down the line, each one reading the poem, hearing the critique from the class and then on to the next one. So there was this, this focus on how it would sound orally. Um, and it sounds okay to me still when it's read out loud, but I don't like the way it flows when you're just reading it without yeah, hearing it like out the loud. line
0: break issue that I brought up, you don't necessarily get that when it's being read. It's just yeah. when you're looking at it on the page yeah. Yeah, that, it, for sure. that it's kind of disconcerting. Um, my, my favorite parts of this are your descriptions of the picture. Now, the, the eye is so wide. An uncertain greeting, I love that. Um, I love swallowed by the mask. And then I love the last three sentences when mere babes must worry that the very air they breathe will turn against them. Um, I I do think that one one part that is keeping the poem back is that it kind of struggles with its overall theme. Uh, You know, it's a very striking image and it's kind of horrifying and ridiculous in itself because you do have this little baby who is wearing a surgical mask and is just swallowed up by it. Um, which is silly if you don't understand the the context of how serious it really is. But it's hard to actually tell, like, what is the point that the poem is trying to make. Uh, like the fourth line, uh, wait, the sixth line, where it says, Innocence, the last of it to be found. Makes it seem like you're trying to make the argument that um innocent, you know innocence is gone we don't have innocence in our world anymore
1: yeah i think that's part of why i wanted to just cut that <laughs>
0: yeah, two yeah. out yeah well so so another theme that you have in here that is a potential theme is the what have we come to when mere babes must worry which is kind of the theme of the general downfall of humanity of oh how bad have things gotten that kind of thing um, yeah. but i don't i don't like that either like i don't think that's no. a, a good enough theme the one that i love That you have in here that you kind of abandon, actually, is in the second line. When you say, frank, unafraid, curious, and uncertain greeting. And I love the idea that this little baby is actually not afraid at all. That she is so into just, like, her own little baby world, and she doesn't realize, she has no idea that she is supposed to be afraid right now. She's just looking at the, the funny man with a camera in her face, and is curiously about to wave. At him and has no idea why she's wearing this mask. And she's just like her innocence is the fact that she can't comprehend the horror that the rest of the society is going
1: through. Yeah, I think I was sort of I think that was the main thing I was sort of going for. I I was really struck by the strangeness. Mm -hmm. Like it was just very strange to see this tiny little girl in this adult size surgical mask that doesn't fit her really well. And the idea then of this, this photographer then being all up in her face as a mother, I'm now like, I have no idea how this photographer got that shot. I have no idea how the mother got the baby to keep the mask on because our our three and a half year old is great with it, but I cannot get a mask on our almost one year olds. Like
0: it's not gonna I happen. I cannot yeah. do it. So maybe this was just, maybe this was in between her pulling this this mask. Yeah, off, I almost think know? that's what her hand yeah, is actually her hand is doing. Yeah, coming up to take the mask down. Yeah, maybe that was just yeah.
1: It. So I I was I was consciously trying to capture the strangeness, just the oddness, mm-hmm. the um. Yeah, just the oddness of of a baby. I don't know the the babies are so full of hope, yeah. you know. They they are stories that are not written yet. You know, this, their story has begun, but it's not written yet. You don't even know who they're gonna be. Really, I mean, it it takes it takes me a full year to get to know <laughs> my kids and <laughs> figure out what their personality will be. So, and this says that she's seven months old, like they're just starting to get a personality at seven months. And like, you really got to look for it. Um, so just, and, and having to be afraid of, of the air that she was breathing. And I, I think I was also wondering why are they traveling?
0: Yeah. You know, that's that's a really young age to be traveling. Are they they fleeing? Are they,
1: did they get caught somewhere? You know, before this broke out. Or is this
0: just a family vacation that's completely innocent of all of this and they didn't want to cancel their vacation? Or it, maybe the vacation seemed like a better idea well, getting I was, away from... I
1: was thinking a lot about when COVID-19 happened. I heard a lot of stories of people going on cruises or various vacations that, you know, people said one week, oh, yeah, that that's safe for you to go on. It'll be fine. And then by the time they come back from the cruise, everyone's on strict lockdown, and it's just inconceivable that they had gone on this vacation that a week before, nobody batted an eye about. Yeah. And...
0: What I love about about this, you know, the, the fact that you were able to find this, the fact that it mimics where we are right now in 2021 so closely, it, yeah. it just makes me think of, you know, there, there have been all of these memes about previous instances of outbreaks um, after the collective trauma that we're all going through right now um, and especially about the Spanish flu. But there's even one talking about the plague where you have a gentleman who is looking through a plate glass window in at a bar where people are dancing and having fun. And he says to himself, that would be great, but I don't want to catch the plague. And he goes home <laughs> You know, it's, it's interesting how there are these themes throughout history where you just have an epidemic and we all have to get through it. And then we just tell stories about it afterwards. Yeah.
1: Well, I, I, I was struck by the sense of hope that this actually gave me, um, we've done this before Yeah. and we've been okay. And, but, with all of that in mind, it made me hopeful, like, the next... There will be another one. It seems like we probably have one every decade. Uh, there was... What was the one? It was, like, avian flu? Yeah. That was, like, in the early, early 2000s. Early 2000s, late 90s. I yeah, yeah. And before that, there was um, Mad Cow. Everybody oh, was worried about, about Mad, Mad Cow. Cow. Yeah. I don't remember if that was before or after avian flu. It seems like it was around the yeah. same time. Yeah. like the these... We're in for it every decade. It's just, is going to happen. We live in a world where we're all sewing up in each other's businesses, including with animals. And that's know? just
0: getting worse. I mean, the yeah. you know, populations grow and and everything is constantly changing. Everything in biology is constantly advancing. Yeah, and that's mm.
1: that's what I was so struck by again. Now, looking at this poem and this photo is like, what has stayed the same you know the yeah. like wearing a mask is this you know the same advice that we were yeah. getting a decade ago and uh, there's a hopefulness in that to me and there's also a like um tiredness and yeah. that like it seems like we should have better science at this point
0: <laughs> but- i don't know so like i'm i'm intrigued from it from a kind of publishing perspective and literature perspective because like the decameron which is a great work of literature came about because of the plague you know it's just these stories that people wrote as they got together to try to avoid the cities during the plague so but but looking at publishing right now because i i try to keep in to the news and the industry as i try to get my book published um, everybody basically says, don't try to get your COVID story published. I want your characters to be like traveling everywhere and jet setting and, and going about. We want escapism yeah. right now. We don't want a story yet that is about the drudgery of living in a COVID I don't world. I know that
1: that's... Because people... we're
0: still inside it. We're still inside well, I was How long is it people... going to be... For us to be able to consume that and actually understand it and have it help us deal with it.
1: I think there's a difference in the art that you create to deal with something. Like, I created this art about the swine flu to deal with being in the swine flu. I mean, it wasn't affecting me nearly in the way that COVID-19 is affecting me now, but
0: it was affecting me. That's true. You created something to help you deal with it. Yeah,
1: and like i have not consumed it since but it was comforting to consume it now yeah and i think that creating art about being in the COVID 19 pandemic would also be cathartic it might be a while before i could market it you know but i also just i don't know that i agree with that advice actually because people process things in different ways i mean I have a close family member who struggles with depression and like her favorite books to read are just the saddest books, just the saddest books. But that's how she processes it and deals with it. Those are comforting to her because they're confirming a worldview. Do you know what I mean? They're confirming an experience. Instead of trying to escape it. And so, you know, they're both valid. So, you create your art.
0: (laughs) Go go write what you need to write. (laughs) I guess I, I am personally, like, I am the guy that wants escapism. I don't want something like, even zombie things are too much for me right now. And no, I, I've never liked zombies, Well, so. yes, but before, <laughs> zombies have been around. Like, they've been big for a long time. Yeah. I feel like most of my life, or at least from the 2000s, I mean, between Resident we Evil and... We tried to and... watch
1: The Walking Dead as, like, our third or fourth date. Okay, I didn't have a problem this with This is the how zombies. much I really liked Eric. I agreed to watch a
0: zombie show. But I stopped watching The Walking Dead when the entire episode turned into just... It was... <sighs> People... Getting into a fight because this one group of people was defending the elderly in an old folks home and the other people didn't know it because they didn't communicate. And they had a whole episode about it and I felt ripped off and angry and I stopped watching. So
1: I feel like we're getting off onto some side tangents. We've like
0: really drifted away. Have we done
1: that? We've drifted away from our critique. So it's probably time to wrap this up.
0: (laughs) Thank you very much. I'd love to keep talking, but my glass is empty and my brain is full. Thank you for sharing your rough draft today, and I look forward to hearing it again on Open Mic Night.
1: Dear listener, if you have any edits, thoughts, or suggestions on this rough draft, you can find us on Instagram as Diamonds in the Rough Draft or by email at diamondroughdraftpod at gmail.com.
0: If you or someone in your life is interested in having a draft on this podcast or joining as a guest, please reach out. If you happen to be Neil Gaiman or Gail Carriger, please reach out quickly. Thank you for joining us for this episode of
1: Diamonds in the Rough Draft.
0: More.
1: this is emily anderson <laughs> you forgot your name
0: <laughs> then this is eric anderson have a great time and don't edit under the influence All works read on the Diamonds in the Rough Draft podcast are original works and are not to be reproduced or distributed in any form without the express written permission of the author. All works of fiction on this podcast are products of the author's imaginations and any resemblance to actual events, places, or persons, living or dead, is entirely coincidental.